0: Mark, I love your Adam Without Liberalism piece.
1: Jacob, you always say kind things to me. <laughs> so that's why I'm in this. I'm in it for the, um, for the
0: being built up. Well, okay, we'll find a better justification. I might insult you a little bit more. <laughs> Anyways, you start off, I want to just read this opening yeah. paragraph and we can uh, go through it and hear all the thing, all the brilliant things that you didn't say in this. Um, so you start. The trouble with liberalism is the trouble with all heresies. It has no idea that it is a heresy. It believes that it develop, developed sui generis, without parents, as a sudden insight of an enlightenment mind, which finally decided to be rational. See all men as equal. Abhor slavery. Recognize democracy as the ideal form of government. Posit the nature of man as self-interested actor. As a self-interested actor, relegate religion to the sphere of private belief and otherwise constitute the world of open elections and iPad sales that we know and love today. Now,
1: I have long sentences sometimes. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was, well, there are two sentences in that, folks. But anyways, this is a really important part for where we begin because, and really where, you know, it, it has to, it. It only makes sense that liberalism would be a heresy, given that liberalism has only ever developed in the West. Totally. So you don't ever find liberalism in the Middle East. I guess you know, like, so you do find it a little bit, but it's only Westernized cities in the Middle East that that you find any anything of any any little whispers and, of liberalism.
1: And I think this is super important because often. When you're hearing about post-liberalism it can have this totally anti-liberal feel as if the only thing we're here is to just cut down this horrid tree right and there's something to that but it's also the case that if what we're saying if what we're talking about is a christian heresy then it necessarily participates in some of the real goods of christianity right and i think this can be lost i mean a lot of the times people think that you know the only alternatives um to liberalism are some kind of fascism some kind of uh, anti-liberty movement, where you basically try to force Christianity down people's throats or something like that. But what what seeing liberalism as a heresy allows you to do is to say that means if it's a heresy, it means that orthodoxy can better achieve the goods to which liberalism is orientated than liberalism itself. Right. right. So right. we see things that we love, freedom. Equality, a sense of uh, safety even within a society, mm-hmm. right? Where we value these things, we love these things. But it's not the argument that, okay, these are just products of liberalism, so we need to get rid of safety and freedom and equality, and instead we're going to have, you know, a stark, brutal world of, of, of religious fanaticism or something. <laughs> but it's saying, no, like, these goods come from Christianity. Right. And it's actually the loss of freedom and the loss of safety that are really the product of liberalism because they're slowly chipping away at that cultural heritage that Christianity has given to the world as mm-hmm. a gift. Mm-hmm. And it's confusing to us because, we're, you know, we're born into a generation and we think the order that is is what's providing the goods. I mean, this is just a natural way to think. It takes an uh, investigation, a deconstruction to say, no, actually the goods are coming from the order that preceded liberalism, mm-hmm. right? And the fears that I'm starting to have about whether my society is going to actually remain, uh, those are from the corrupting influence of the heresy, not the orthodoxy itself.
0: You know, one thing that you point out here and that um, I've recently read also in uh, Eugene McCarrher's, however you say his name. Yeah, well, if I had an accent, it would sound better, I suppose. But uh, book the the enchantments of Mammon is that it, this would, when you, when you speak about liberalism as a heresy, it's not just that there were kind of theoretical goods that Christianity uh, loved and articulated that are being um, rethought of within liberalism, but that actually the 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 first architects of liberalism were doing all of this directly from the sacred scriptures. Yes. And that I think is really where this claim of heresy becomes very clear, because they couldn't have gotten to the conclusions that they got to. Absolutely. Apart from a misreading of the Bible.
1: Yeah, I think that's. I and mean, there's a lot of folks that I don't even talk about in this essay. Um, people like Isaac Newton right. and the whole yeah. the, the whole tradition of anti-trinitarianism. So just people that thought that essentially that God could not really be
0: trinity right because Um, trinity is the word trinity is never named in the scriptures Mm -hmm. you never have a perfect articulation of three persons in one essence in the bible that's all tradition
1: right and so it's easy for us now uh, being affected by liberalism to think like okay well that's a theological point that doesn't have like an effect on my society but it's very easy to trace how that idea actually created a literal society of anti-Trinitarians that were worried about being um, uh, suppressed, um, and were writing letters to each other, and basically crafting um, a new, what they thought as, as a more rational form of religion, which obviously also forms the basis of a new society of believers in a new religion. I mean, these things always go hand in hand.
0: Right. Absolutely. So, I just want to read a couple sentences or a sentence from from Eugene's book. He says. By the early 19th century the puritan era of capitalist enchantment had given way to an evangelical successor proclaiming themselves heralds of a science of wealth whose laws had been decreed by god christian political economists were more widely read and admired than adam smith or david ricardo Mm. you know i think this is really interesting and he goes through in his text a whole slew of uh, pastors and theologians who rethink the social order given their new theological outlook Um, and in particularly Protestant theological outlook, a non-Trinitarian, a a Unitarian theological outlook. Um, But it all had to be, uh, but the reason why they, excuse me, and that is the very reason why it was so convincing amongst the masses because they were all religious. And so it was only after there was this movement away from the pulpit, from the chapel, from the sanctuary, that people started to turn to the Ricardos and to the Smiths to say, okay, now that we understand our theological backdrop, let's really dig into the heavier issues, which is just where Smith and Ricardo were were ahead of their time. But you bring out in this piece um, Hobbes and Locke. Mm Mm-hmm. Who were not like ricardo and smith but but spent more time dealing more directly with these theological issues and um and the thing and with let's take Locke for example he, you know in in the two treatises on government he says when god gave the world in common to all mankind he commanded man to work and man needed to work in order to survive mm-hmm. you, you cite this here no, this is, of course, an interpretation on Adam. Yeah. And you have a very different interpretation on Adam.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing I could say is, I don't know what Bible he's reading. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem to be KGD? the same yeah, word. It yeah. yeah, no, no. doesn't seem to be the same words being used. Yeah, what's fundamental here is, this is a time in the world where literally the new world is being discovered. Mm-hmm. And so when... Thinkers are going back to Genesis and looking at these texts. We also have to realize they're also at the same time in their heads looking at America. And they have what I would say is essentially their first mistake, which is to assume that a man untouched by society, which is sort of how they understood the savages of the Americas, is
0: the well, same. You're going to get blacklisted for using the word savages. They used the word man. Okay, cool. <laughs> you saved yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't see the quotes that I put around. Yeah, that that's right. Yeah, he has his fingers up. Yeah.
1: So when when they look at that, they're making an equation with Adam. Mm-hmm. And you can see there's this fundamental s- mistake already, right? Like, why would we ever assume that the lack of civil society right, is the condition of um, the Garden of Eden? Right, but they right. make that jump because they already are coming from a tradition of social contract theory, a tradition which basically basically says that man is born into a state of nature, um, and they're equating this state of nature with the state um, of, of Adam in the Garden of Eden, which, right, right. which is actually the first reversal of the Christian tradition who would pres- precisely say that it was the state of grace uh, that Adam experienced in the garden that we don't understand and we can't just look to a man alone in the woods to understand Adam hmm. because Adam is in this unique position our father wh- who is infused with supernatural virtues who has uh, the wisdom of God who walks in the will of God who essentially has a view of the world that's totally incorporated within the divine will um, yeah. that's That image is what's lost, I think, right from the get-go. So, yeah, um, Locke looks at um, Adam, and he sees a man who is essentially condemned to work. He sees a man for whom the world is a world of scarce resources um, that he has to order in order to feed himself, in order not to starve. So right from the get-go, he sees um, the original creation of God as impinging upon man and making him scared and having to um, essentially work hard not to die. Um, Now, again, this is exactly a reversal. Um, Perhaps the best thing to do would be to describe the orthodox position from which it departs, which is not against scarcity at all. So no one is saying that the truth of it is that when Adam took an orange from the tree, another just grew right in its place, and he didn't have to do anything. The mm. grapes just dropped in his mouth. I mean, I think <laughs> can, when you talk about an abundant universe, they like mm-hmm. get this idea of like some kind of magical like, universe where nothing is ever depleted or consumed. That's not it at all. Right. The Catholic Orthodox position is a contingent, abundant universe. Contingent simply means that what man does— matters so man can create scarcity man can also continue the conditions of abundance i mean you can see this just in simply looking at like a plant a plant produces enough seeds within itself to grow sometimes 700 more of itself so there is abundance there right you can see like wow like do the math that you you go up to infinity pretty quickly (laughs) (laughs) if you just start looking at cucumbers but There's an abundance there, but it's obviously contingent upon man being virtuous. Like if Adam says, okay, so I'm going to take the cucumbers and I'm not going to let anyone else have them, to make a really dumb example, then, yeah, you've destroyed the abundance that's proper to the universe, Mm -hmm. right? You've taken Mm -hmm. it away. Mm -hmm. Um, But So it's not an argument for magic. It's an argument saying that it really is up to us to maintain the abundance that God gives us. And the whole story of the fall is one in which we refuse to do that. We refuse to right. continue to look at the universe as abundant. Now, the difference is when Locke's looking at Adam, he begins with the fall. He doesn't think it, he thinks he's talking about the original creation. Right. He begins with the assumption of the fall, which is that mankind has not and cannot uh, maintain the abundance of the universe. Yeah.
0: Right, right. Well, and so he, He says that survival is his goal and there's i I suppose you know a lot of a lot of the confusion that people have is with the 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 curse that god gives both adam and eve that childbirth is going to be more painful and that man is going to have to earn his living cultivate his living by the sweat of his brow and that work is going to become more toilsome and then you have this famous line of, of in the thistles and thorns right so um but St Thomas Aquinas says as you cite him that the thistles and thorns are always we're always there it's just not uh, now that Adam is no longer participating with the with the order of the garden that God has set out and so his work is no longer enjoyable he can't but see the thistles and the thorns
1: yeah John Calvin has an argument where he says that God essentially creates twice. So he creates the world, and it's good. Then Adam sins, and he creates again, only John Calvin says, this time as an avenger. And he creates everything bad in the world, the mosquitoes, the fire ants, the thorns, the thistles, right? And this is the position I think you have to come to within um, a, let me back that up. The reason this is wrong, besides that it essentially makes a change in God possible, Mm -hmm. um, is that what it denies is that creation is good, Mm -hmm. as it's declared in the Bible to Mm -hmm. be very good. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure Calvin probably goes on to say something like, well, it's good that God avenges himself against man by throwing fire ants at him or whatever. But what I'm envisioning, is a world in which because man is obedient and virtuous and maintains the infusion of wisdom that comes from divine grace he can look at all the creatures of the world and understand them in their proper place Mm. and how to order them best Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. in in new and creative ways but he can understand how to order creation he understands what the good of a fire ant is the good of a mosquito the good of a thorn the good of a thistle right a thistle is actually a really good example it has medicinal properties So the idea that suddenly Adam has to deal with thorns and thistles is precisely one of the problems of liberalism because it looks at the world and says the world is bad. There are bad things in the world. There is scarcity. There's not enough to go around, right? Whereas the orthodox position is to look at the world and say everything is good. Everything has a purpose. Mm. Everything can Mm. be brought Mm. into orientation towards the common good. Uh, this notion um, is very foreign to us right so yeah but I think there's a lot of hope in the view because <laughs> the hope is that all of our technological progress like it isn't it isn't just some kind of like other thing we do like learning what things are and how they work and how they can be used for medicine or how we can increase the yield of plants like this is, in the orthodox position, a regaining of of the, of the wisdom that we had by grace.
0: It's tough though, because then you see, you make the case here that the taking of the fig leaves to cover oneself up is, is a misappropriation, like the first misappropriation huh. of, the, uh, of the order of, of creation. So in a sense, Adam was technological prior to the fall and learning how to toil well but his technology even in itself becomes misguided immediately afterwards as he begins to use something that has a sacred name a sacred identity in a way that is unintended by by the divine so
1: yeah Adam begins ordering the universe according to the will of God but after the fall he begins to order the universe towards himself um, based on his own fear um, and his own desire to essentially survive um, without reference to God. He becomes the top, as it were, of, of the order of creation rather mm-hmm. than maintaining his middle space mm-hmm. um, under God, above the animals, above the plants. So that idea of technology, which we might just consider making, shifts along with this introduction of sin so we can imagine i think a kind of making a kind of progressive use and utility of the world that isn't scared Mm. that isn't trying striving to make the world such a way that i survive that i don't die that i get as many goods for myself as possible Mm. Um, one way i like to actually think about this this is going to sound somewhat silly is uh, building sandcastles so like (laughs) It's obvious when you're at the beach and you see the sand and you're like, I think I'm going to dig a moat and then maybe a big hole here and then build a sandcastle that you're not responding to some kind of need for survival in your being, right? You are looking at the sand and you're seeing its potential. Like It has this capacity within it to be molded and formed and you're responding to that capacity to, to essentially make the sand beautiful um, hmm. or at least cool looking, depending on how good you are at sandcastles. <laughs> uh, I'm not very good, so they always come out, come out kind of lumpy, but I think What you can see there in this little example, and it's all through life, um, is a participation in what I think Adam would have experienced every day, looking at all the stuff of this world, Hmm. which is that what God had created calls out to him, right? Mm. And Mm. he perfects it. So he adds to it. He changes it. He orders it. He uses it. He brings it up into his creative intellect, right? Um, and makes the world an interesting, new, and beautiful place to please God. Mm -hmm. Um, Not because he's motivated out of a fear of death, right? But because it's proper to his nature to perfect the whole universe. Um, Whereas after the fall, we start to get this idea that man builds no sandcastles, right? That there's no... um, making, there's no using the material elements of this world that isn't motivated out of this desire for gain Mm -hmm. um, over and against one's neighbor, this desire for survival over and against the survival of other people. Um, This idea that man doesn't shepherd the world, rather he scratches out his survival in it Mm -hmm. is precisely what is precisely the mistake liberalism makes.
0: No, what's interesting here, so you quick summary on, on all of this. Adam is made in the garden to cultivate it in a way that is pleasing to God that is readily intelligible to him, obvious to him even uh, though he's exercising his own creative power. But as soon as the the devil comes, Satan tempts him and Eve um, tempts him as uh, St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas say with this notion that they are insufficient in themselves that god is that that he is excuse me that satan is making obvious to adam and to eve their their lower level in the hierarchy and that they are completely dependent upon his goodness to to them it's at that point that adam and eve fall they try and uh, manipulate the world so as to not be as dependent upon God and thus order everything around themselves. So it's this understanding, and this is kind of the whole crux of your of your piece, that uh, that it is this perceived scarcity that then right. creates real scarcity uh, once they start to take the abundance and reappropriate it and make it not abundant anymore. But, and, and this is... Uh, and, and truly, that happens. There is a, a lack of abundance, and one, but only because of the devised technocratic uh, reordering of man, and not because of the the order of the universe itself. If you just let it go, it's abundant. Once you put man in it, he's going to take things for himself and 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 scratch the abundance away from others um, within it. Now, it's it's this state is perceived as being natural, that is, the error of, of the liberals um, in right. the first liberals who say this ex- explicitly. You know, we name Locke, but Hobbes says the same thing. You can just kind of go on, go on a roll of, of pretty much, a big one for this. yeah. Now what's interesting, though, is that you also cite an ancient passage um, as well, is that you, you have the, how do you say this? The Atrahasis? Atrahasis. Atrahasis. That's what I'm going for. I think that sounds pretty good. The Atrahasis epic, and I'll just read this part here, you say, um, which contains the story of the flood and the ark which the authors of Genesis obviously confronted, likewise contains a description of the reason for man's existence. This is a quote now from the epic of Atrahasis or the Atrahasis epic, when the gods were without man they did forced labor they bore drudgery great indeed was the drudgery of the gods the forced labor was heavy the misery too much um now you go on and you say that the that they looked. these gods looked for one uh, who they would force to toil for them they create a state in which a few escape drudgery and misery By a relative increase in the drudgery and misery of others. Quote, the seven great Anuna gods were burdening the Igigi gods, which are the lesser gods, with forced labor. Um,
1: And then as it goes on, they actually create man in order to pass off that slavery onto man.
0: Right. And so they actually dig... The Tigris River and the Euphrates River afterwards, so that the gods would always have this abundance, which is really interesting. I didn't know this until until I read in your piece that uh, like this is this is probably the the reason why Genesis names the Tigris River and the Euphrates River in in its original text. Yeah, not because, as
1: a result of slave labor, but as a gift from God. Yeah,
0: God. It's not that man made it for the gods, but God made it for man. Exactly. It's literally the opposite, and and so. Kind of the interesting thing here is that the ancients made the the state of nature scarce, that they understood it as being burdensome, and that man had to toil for his survival yes. and as a slave to to the gods, which may be the missing link in in Locke. So the because the only difference that I see in Rousseau, Hobbes, Locke, Jefferson, Adams, um, and the ancients is that. They both saw the world as being naturally scarce, that that man had to work for his survival, that it was uh, it was difficult and toilsome. But the one other thing is that man was not enslaved to anyone, according to the liberals, whereas the ancients he was. Do you see any other difference? Does that difference make sense to you?
1: Yeah. So man becomes within the liberals a slave to necessity, Um, but he's not owned by any other man. though I think there could be an argument that once you buy the liberal notion that man is a slave to necessity, you create the groundwork for justifying actual slavery of man to man. Because if, for instance, it is, if there's no conditions of justice and virtue, right, by which our human needs can be provided for within a good society, right, Mm -hmm. but, um, that, but then you can start to justify these kinds of ideas that some people just always will be subservient, that s- being a slave is going to be somewhat necessary for some people because the cosmos is so ordered and so created that, that there simply isn't enough to go around and some people will only be able to get what they get through dependence on others. Um, so I do think it's different, but I think one can kind of lead to the other, right? Mm. And, and you hear a lot hmm. of these notions justifying slavery um, within American liberalism, um, which is something that I think I think as a project we should go into because liberalism isn't accidentally related to slavery. Somehow we have to justify the fact that our great liberal founders also ended up justifying a particular form of slavery. right, um, right. And That's very important because you can see that once, once you make that view that you're a slave to, you ne- to necessity, right? and that there's no abundance possible within the universe, then you can see from that how you justify an actual slavery of some people. Um, but, I, no, I think it's actually it's fascinating, right? Because the trajectory is this. Man really did fall. So he really does perceive the world in a scarce way. He mm-hmm. really is scared. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. fear is, a, is the predominant emotion that I sort of get when I read the Old Testament, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, you know, you can say, like, oh, how do they not know that the universe was conditionally abundant? It's like, no, come on. I mean, walking outside your door, it's hard to realize that the universe is conditionally (laughs) abundant, uh, much less if I was in the Near East at, you know, great flood time or whatever. (laughs) So what's fascinating to me is this, that the ancients had no hope. They looked on the world and what they saw was it. This miserable and difficult existence was it. And so when they wrote their myths, when they developed their way of thinking about it, you can sense that hopelessness because they concretize it in the divine. So they say, Mm -hmm. look, this is the story of how man came to be. Slavery is concomitant with nature man exists to alleviate other people from drudgery and slavery so you can see how it's just hopeless it's fundamental that's it then to jump ahead with the hope that the scriptures bring the hope that Christ brings you have for the first moment through grace the idea that it doesn't have to be this way that we really can build a kingdom of heaven we really can be just we can through the grace of the sacraments um, We no longer have to give in to that despair because we have a hope. We have a hope in both our future life but also in our life here that our life here can become better. Hmm. And that's sort of what the liberals who are Christians who come from a culture of hope essentially are undoing without realizing it. That they go back and reinstate as it were uh, the despairing notion um, that Abundance isn't possible. So they kind of repeat the ancient error, but it becomes so much harder to see because they're still infused with this kind of hope. So they begin to talk about things that sound a lot like Christianity, like how if you ordered all the goods in such a way that you could essentially attain a best possible distribution through, you know, you name the means. Um, But this takes the place of justice of developing the kingdom of heaven here on earth Mm, um, mm -hmm. and instead becomes a kind of what's the very best we can scratch out given that nature is never really going to um, be elevated in grace
0: right right so you have to go back on the technological know-how instead or i would even say technocratic know-how rather i think that's probably more accurate Right. If Um, you look
1: at our world today, I think it's just maximized liberalism in the sense of we just have been doing the very best we could (laughs) to try and get these goods of Christianity through a scarce means. Mm. So we have ramped up technology. We have ramped up social organization. Mm -hmm. We have ramped up Mm -hmm. um, essentially science, intellectual Mm -hmm. um, knowledge of, sorry, knowledge of the material universe and tried to use all of these things to give us as good a world as we can and then whenever the world turns out bad and we have World War II, we have concentration camps, we have yeah. plagues, we have famines, we have COVID, whatever it is, all we can think of is we'll keep pushing these technological means and try to essentially organize our way into a, a better place. But we have no hope for a good world. Yeah, Fundamentally, we, we say things like the world will always be evil or bad right but we just are trying to get rid of as much evil um, as possible and and so we end up repeating the same thing over and over again more technology more problems and the answer to which is always more technology and so you can see how i mean these days i feel like we're just getting weary of it
0: yeah Yeah. i think that's right i think that's right And, and there's something too about you know, when we go back and we look at the Middle Ages or when when people I think the general vibe is when you look at the Middle Ages, everybody was poor and everybody was poor. You know, you didn't have the things that we have today, um, but we also think of them as being sick and hungry. You know, like the sun never came out. It was always cloudy. You know, it's like covered in mud. Everybody's covered in mud. Well, actually, that sounds OK. But <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, you actually go back and you read these documents. I've started to do this and, you know. And it's just extraordinary. You have these lines from, uh, from people saying everybody had meat. You know, it's like everybody had meat. That's awesome. I'm like, well, I, I know. Like, that's one of my prerequisites for like the just society is that meat <laughs> abounds, and everyone had meat. You know, and everybody was was cared for. And um, and then you can really, the way that you look at plagues and stuff is like plagues really came about when people s- stopped um, being good to the body, actually. And when the dead, they just kind of tossed their bodies out into, uh, into the streets instead of giving people proper burial. And that was the number one way that plagues abounded. And, um, and so again, it's, you know, there's, there's, you know, we look at we look back at a time wh- that we think nature overtakes once there's no technology. In the Middle Ages, there's no, there's no technocracy and so all the natural evils come out of the closet as, as it were in today well we yeah there's some injustice things going on we won't talk about those all that much um, or really to the extent and sit down and realize the extent of them but we uh, but at least we don't have have plagues and, and hunger anymore yeah. which is just false I mean so. it's
1: necessary for liberalism to yeah. castigate the middle ages because if there are goods that are attainable through justice, right? through being good, through doing the right thing within a community. Mm -hmm. Um, If peace is attainable through that, if Mm. health is attainable to a certain extent through that, Mm. um, then it it just gives a lie to liberalism. Because what it means is that people have within themselves the capacity for justice, for a just society, and to attain a, a condition of abundance here on this earth Um, and I think that the whole power of liberal regimes lies in saying you you can't attain this um, in yourselves you can't attain this in a small community you can't attain this um, just by a kind of rational participation in the revelation of Jesus Christ and it just becomes you need us You need a state essentially. You need a larger body that can give you these goods.
0: Right. Well I hope everybody goes reads this piece. I think it's awesome. I think it's really necessary as kind of the first step for regaining this lost this lost society Mm -hmm. is by regaining the notion that that God is good and that he gifts abundantly. Mm -hmm. Um but Mark, give us just a heads up of, of what would come next. What would you see as the next, is it redistribution? Is it just a return to the land? What, what, do, what do you think is, is next? I
1: think it is vital to restore hope in people. I think that liberalism is only ever overcome where there's a return to the orthodox position Hmm. that through the grace that Christ provides, genuine communities of charity are possible here on this earth. Hmm. And I think the only way to um, really believe that, the only way to really begin to incarnate that hope into the world, is a certain detachment from the kinds of technologies we use out of fear. Um, and so I think a lot of these technologies, um, I mean, it, it sounds, it can sound in a certain respect, I don't know, Amish or something, but, well, no,
0: but the first thing that comes to mind is money. Cause that's sure. a technology that we use to preserve future goods, yeah. you know? Yeah. So like, yeah.
1: To, I mean, you can make a list of things that you could use or have in this world in order to work towards the common good with your neighbors, um, which includes your own goods that essentially replace a fear-based sort of scrabbling for goods that always relies on and to a certain extent powerful men to provide them with goods that are actually attainable within that community within the order of charity mm. um one obvious example is you know i am so money is a really good example right like there are things in this world that are so much more useful to have than money like to whether it's growing food, whether it's having a relationship with a neighbor where you guys help each other, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. like on your house or mm-hmm. your car or whatever it is, that that I mean, we can talk about that as a kind of wealth because it is it's it gives man true capacity to have those kinds of powerful relationships with their neighbors. Mm. But if we don't detach from the idea that, well, we should just do that through money. Right. I should hire the person to help on the house mm-hmm. to, you know, if If we don't detach from that in a really conscious way, then we're never going to have the kind of hope that, hey, we could extend this relationship to the entire community so that we really do help each other. Um, That There is a gift exchange that essentially becomes the economy um
0: a fraternal economy at that point
1: exactly and one thing that i just did which is it's such a silly little thing but i think these things can matter to uh, as a kind of sacramental sign of the possibilities here yeah i just got a bunch of rain barrels and a rain barrel is is silly i mean to a certain extent it's just a barrel (laughs) But what it means to me is simple. It means that, okay, instead of every time I want to water a flower, I turn on a faucet that ends up in a bill, the bill I pay to the city. Yeah. Um, yeah. The city is incorporated within the state, State is incorporated within the nation. So mm. every time I turn on the faucet, I have a certain uh, submission, as it were, to state power, to a power that can shut off my faucet, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I collect rain. And collecting rain is very simple. You just you just put it under your gutter. The rain falls and it goes into the bucket, and then I use that to um, to water the flowers. And it's very simple. You can say like, "Hey, well, um, saving money, right?" You say it something something in that way, right? <laughs> That's the easy way to pitch it, right? Because yeah. I'm spending less money by collecting rain mm-hmm. instead of um, spending on my water bill. But but there's a meaning there where it's saying, okay. Isn't it marvelous that we live in a world in which God sends rain? Right? Yeah. In which the rain mm. falls. Mm. And it doesn't, and it's effective. The rain works. <laughs> and why not make our technologies something that's a response to the gift? Right. So how do I respond to the gift of God? Right. Um, and how do I thank him for his gift and utilize it in such a way that it actually, like I participate in its efficacy.
0: Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah. a rain barrel does that in such a simple little way. Yeah. And there's no state involved in it. And there's and there's no fear, I think, involved mm. in it. Or rather, maybe I should mm. put it this way. The fear becomes, I think, wise and rational in the sense of what is my fear? Well, my fear is to be abandoned by God. Right? My fear is drought in the sense of, like, if the rains don't come. Yeah. So then what That's am I thrust great. upon? I'm yeah. thrust upon prayer and trust and the need to to live in right relation to the creator rather than in right relation to the men that own the water company. Right, right, right. So I think doing, I think it's going to be absolutely crucial to the building up of a Christian society that isn't founded on scarcity, but on the conviction that abundance is possible if we can be virtuous and if we can live within the will of God. It's going to be absolutely important to do that incrementally, and to begin to replace those technologies that we use out of fear that bind us to the power of other men rather than to God, um, and to do this one at a time. So maybe it's rain barrels today. Maybe I'm working to build a walking path tomorrow so that my neighbors can more easily traverse between two locations without relying on, on petrol. Um Maybe it's larger, you know, in a year, right? Maybe we can restructure some of the civic institutions that we have so that they're genuinely participatory instead of just employee positions um, essentially coming from the state again. There's surprises here, like of what's going to come next. It's not Mm -hmm. all planned out because it's not liberalism. It's really genuine free creatures trying to make the world into a garden pleasing to God. I don't know what's next uh how the garden's going to look but I know that if we can just one by one kick out this um sadness and fear right that comes from looking at the world as a place of scarce resources that it's man's destiny to scrabble mm-hmm. to find um then we'll be facing the right direction um And we'll be moving towards the kingdom of heaven and the city of God rather than the city of man.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. Mark, thanks so very much. That was beautiful.
1: Hey, my pleasure. (laughs) Talk next time.
0: Till then. Bye.